0: Well, I thought uh, we'd begin our Bible talk tonight with some hard facts. Some hard facts. Facts that are hard to hear. Did you know that uh, some 854 million people around the world are hungry? Did you know that every day almost 16,000 children die from hunger-related causes. That's one child every five seconds. In 2004, it was estimated that some one billion people were attempting to live on the equivalent of a dollar a day. As a nation, it seems that we in Australia are not that generous in our overseas giving. In terms of our government giving... Only a fraction of 1% of our national income is used for overseas aid and development. And as individual Australians, we're not much better. According to one statistic I read, uh, each Australian household gives about one-half of 1% of their income to charity. There are many, many, many people in our world in great need and it would seem that we do very little about it. But of course, as Christians, we know there's an even greater need, don't we, than merely hunger and poverty. There is, of course, the much more profound spiritual need that our world has to hear and believe the gospel of Christ Jesus. There are vast numbers of people in our world, billions of people, who are outside of a saving knowledge of Jesus, they are lost they are in darkness, they remain under the judgment of God. And some two-thirds of them, millions and millions of them, have no viable Christian witness in their culture. How can they believe in the one they have not heard of? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And yet Christian mission organizations the world over are constantly having to scrape and beg and make do with less than they need in sending people out into the field. Closer to home, here in DPC, we are barely making ends meet financially. Next year we're gonna have the privilege of a Metro trainee working full time among us but we can't afford to give him any money other than what we receive from the denomination. I did some rough calculations uh, during the week to help us think about our level of generosity across the four churches of DPC. There are approximately 300 adults across the four churches. From January to July this year, our average weekly giving was approximately $6,000. That equates to about $20 per adult per week. Here's a hypothetical. If every single one of those 300 people lost their job and were on the dole and received the most basic rate of unemployment benefit with no extra benefits at all, no other income, if they just received $215 a week, and if each of those people decided to give 10% of their income to church each Sunday, our giving would go up, $1.50 a person. Our giving would go up by 8%. By the end of the year, we'd have an extra $30,000 if everyone lost their job, went on the most basic dole and chose to give 10%. Here's another hypothetical. If just two-thirds of us earned just the average Australian wage, and if just those 200 people gave just 5% of their salary to DPC and nobody else gave anything, our giving would be doubled. How about we pray? Heavenly Father we thank you for your wonderful generosity to us. And Father, with those figures and those numbers and those statistics bouncing around inside of our head, Father, we pray for your help as we think about what to do with the money that you have granted us. Father, as we've prayed each week during this money series, we want to be people who honour you in the way we think and the way we act with the wealth, the money, the property that you've given us. Please change us to make us your people, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're following you your outline, we're up to point one. It's on the inside of the bulletin. So far in this series on money, we've been, we've considered the topics of blessing, idolatry, and contentment. And look, if we were to finish our series with just those three topics, it would be seriously incomplete. For there's one more vitally important element in the Bible's teaching about money and wealth. They're all really intertwined and interconnected, but the blessing of God and the danger of idolatry, and the gain of contentment in Christ, all of those three should combine together to produce one thing in the life of every single Christian person. Generosity. And that's our topic tonight. Generosity. And so we turn once more to 1 Timothy chapter 6, the verses the kids read for us. Our base camp across these uh, four weeks. Have a look at verse 17 again with me. Command those who are rich... In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In those verses, the Apostle Paul commands rich Christians to be generous. And let me remind you once more that by, on any objective scale or standard, if you are here tonight and you are Christian, then you are rich. And so tonight, you are commanded to be generous with your wealth. Of course, you see, the danger of your wealth is that it will make you arrogant and proud. You earned it. It's yours. You enjoy the power that it gives you. But the apostle says in verse 17, no, 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 that's not to be your response. The other related danger of uh, your wealth is that it will make you feels self-sufficient. Your money can easily become the center of your hope and your confidence. It's what you rely on. But that's idolatry and that's stupid because, of course, wealth is uncertain and wealth cannot satisfy your deepest, most important needs. And so instead of those two foolish responses, the apostle says, no, instead you are to recognize that the giver of your wealth is God, your king, who is good and trustworthy and who loves you. This is the God who blesses you. This is the God, in verse 17, who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. And so we must put our hope in him, the giver, rather than the gifts. You must trust in his trustworthy blessing. And you must be generous. And look at how Paul describes such generosity in verse 19. Verse 19, he says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See there, Paul is commanding rich Christians to invest. Paul is commanding rich Christians to invest their riches well. Paul is commanding us to seek the maximum return from our earthly riches. He is commanding us to not be too easily satisfied with too little blessing. Because it's true, isn't it? So often we are satisfied just to put our money in a bank or in shares or in property where all all it gains is more money or more shares or more property. But like we thought about last time, we brought nothing of that into the world and we'll take nothing out of it. And treasures on earth can be destroyed by moth and rust and deflation and theft. But to invest in the age to come, to lay up treasure in heaven, that is blue ribbon stock. That is treasure beyond price. And Paul says that is the result of generosity. In verse 19, he says to be generous and willing to share is to lay up a firm foundation in the coming age. To be generous and willing to share is to take hold of the life that is truly life. And friends, it's true, isn't it? So often we are so dumb with this stuff. So often we actually think of generosity as a burden. The collection comes around on Sunday night and we resent it. The missionary stands before us on a Sunday and we come up with all these financially sensible reasons why we can't contribute to this particular person at this particular time. Maybe already during this talk in the last five minutes, the walls have gone up in your mind and your heart, and you've already been rehearsing the reasons why you can't give more when he finally gets around to asking you to. But you know what, if your thinking is like that, according to the Apostle Paul, you're actually ripping yourself off. You are ripping yourself off. What you describe as financially sensible may in fact well be stingy stupidity. You may be You may be being so foolish as to try to hang on to something that you cannot keep. And so you are missing out on what you could not lose. The apostle says, if your heart has been captured by the surpassing greatness of Christ Jesus, then you will be generous. In fact, your generosity will be a direct measure of your appreciation of the surpassing greatness of Christ Jesus. See, generosity is not a burden, it's an opportunity. Generosity ought not to be painful, it ought to be exciting. Generosity is not foolish, it's wise. Because to be generous is to take hold of the life that is truly life. And that's what you want to do, isn't it? Take hold of the life that's truly life? Go for great gain? You want to go for ultimate profit? You want to go for abundant blessing? It's only sensible. We'll put your hope in God, says Paul, and be generous. It's a very simple command before us tonight, folks. Two words, be generous. But with that command before us, I'm thinking that uh, there'll be a few questions popping around inside of mine. Questions hopefully I might have had a go at anticipating on your outline. Questions we're going to try and answer by scouting around the Bible together. The first question I guess we need to answer then is, well, if the command of Jesus is to be generous, then how generous should we be? Point two on your outline. How generous should we be? Well, let me tell you, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news for you. The bad news is, if you're looking for a simple formula that you can use to calculate how generous you should be, there isn't one. The good news is, Because there is no simple generosity formula, there's no limit to how generous you can be. Now, I know that lots of people at this point would want to talk about tithing. Tithing is something we read about lots in the Old Testament. We've been seeing a lot in Nehemiah, haven't we, in our small groups. Tithing was part of the Old Covenant where people gave a tenth uh, to the Lord. A tenth is a tithe. So a tenth of their crops a tenth of their flocks, a tenth of their inheritance and so on, were all presented to the Lord as part of the sacrificial system of the old covenant. And so lots of people today talk about Christians giving a tithe, a tenth of their income to God by way of generosity or collections, that sort of stuff. I guess it's attractive because it offers this neat mathematical formula to calculate exactly how generous you should be. Although I've got to tell you, I've been in lots of conversations where people have argued over whether the tenth should be calculated before or after tax. (laughs) So maybe it's not all that neat. But can I say more more, more significantly, really, the idea of tithing is completely absent from the New Testament. Tithing is not part of the new covenant that we are under in Christ Jesus. In the first century, when the New Testament was being written, there was a collection being carried out among the uh, lots of the Christian churches. It was a collection to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem. The collection lasted about 10 years. That's a serious collection, okay? 10 years of collecting. And because it took such a long time and over such a, 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 large, a large area, it actually pops up, this collection, quite a lot in a few of the letters of the New Testament. Lots of appeals, lots of references to this collection. Nowhere is a tithe prescribed, Nowhere is any church or any individual commanded to give a tenth to the collection. So how should you decide how much to give? Well, we're going to listen in on the Apostle Paul as he answers exactly that question when he wrote to the Corinthian church. We're going to do a bit of Bible flicking. Um, so put your finger or something in 1 Timothy and come left with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. These are Bible verses. The references are on your sheet, your outline. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1. Going to listen in as Paul writes to the Corinthian church about this particular collection, okay? Chapter 16, verse 1, let me read. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, No collections will have to be made. How much should we give, Paul? Well, no mention of a 10%. He says it should reflect your income. In other words, if you earn more, you should give more. But there's no formula there. Maybe the Corinthians wanted a formula because Paul returns to this collection in the letter of 2 Corinthians. So come with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter 8. And verse one. This is, I'm going to read about nine verses, so it'd be good to have it open in front of you. Good to hear those pages turning. Two Corinthians chapter eight and verse one. Let me read. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." What's the formula we should apply to work out how generous we should be? Well, the formula, for want of a better word, is the formula of the gospel of Jesus. That's the formula. It's the gospel of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor so that we might become rich through him. It's the generosity of Jesus which should drive our generosity, it's the blessing that we have received from Jesus that should drive our desire to share. In fact, how much we appreciate the generosity of Jesus is seen in how generous we are with our money. So we can talk about how much we value the death of Jesus for us on our behalf. We can sing songs expressing our gratitude to Jesus for dying on our behalf. We can even sing and pray with tears. But there's a real sense, you know, in which we can say, show me the money. Show with your generosity exactly how much you value Jesus. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. Sadly, you know, it would seem that the Corinthians were stingy. But the Macedonians, did you notice, Paul says, the Macedonians, the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica, they were the models, weren't they? Have a look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Paul says, they gave as much as they were able. They were in extreme poverty and they even gave beyond their ability. Do you notice they actually pleaded with Paul to be able to give to the collection. They were such eager investors in the age to come. They gave themselves first to the Lord, Paul says, and they found in Jesus absolute sufficiency. They found in Jesus everything they needed, and so they were able to give generously. In Jesus, you see, they enjoyed an ocean of blessing from which they could freely share. A few verses later, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, hard not to think that the Macedonians were still in Paul's mind as he continues to urge the Corinthians into generosity. Chapter 9 and verse 6. Chapter 9 verse 6. Remember this, he writes, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful generosity. That's what God requires. Not a law, not a mathematical formula. Cheerful generosity. Because you see, God generously opens his hand of blessing to us, both in this life and in the life to come. And in response, we ought to be open-handed with our wealth. Generous. Cheerfully generous. Not tight-fisted. Because our hope is in God, not in our wealth. And it's a hope well placed. Look at Paul's confidence in God there in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, wealth is so uncertain, but God is not. God's not uncertain. Remember the promise from last time, never will God leave you, never will God forsake you. We read it in Hebrews chapter 13. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's what God is like. So trust him and be cheerfully generous. So there you are holding all this money and wealth in your hands, so to speak. How generous should you be? Well, consider your income. Consider the grace of Christ Jesus to you and be open-handed. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that when Christ weighed it all up, he gave me more than 10%. Consider the grace of Christ Jesus to you and be open-handed. Consider the grace of Christ Jesus to you and what you'll find is that your grip on your money and your possessions will loosen. Focus on the grace of Christ Jesus to you and you'll find yourself looking more to the age to come and in doing that, you'll be open-handed. But of course... Now that we have a starting point in deciding how much to give, I guess the next question is, to whom should I give it? Who should I be generous to? Point three on your outline. And the obvious answer is those in need, isn't it? Those who are in need. And from those, some of those hard facts that we began with, it's not real hard to find someone in need. There are literally millions and millions and millions of people across our world who are in great need. The Apostle James in his letter, describes and commands authentic Christianity. And one of the marks of authentic Christianity, according to James, it's on your outline, is this from 127. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Generosity to those who are in need. That's the mark of an authentic Christian. To not be generous to those who are in need is the mark of someone who is an inauthentic Christian. Right now, in our world, there are at least two international emergency relief projects operating. In Bangladesh, in mid-November, there was a catastrophic cyclone. The death toll is expected to be 10,000. They're still counting. And millions of people have been left homeless. In the Sudan, in, in Darfur... Conflict there continues with literally millions of people suffering. Little children are being recruited to fight in the war. There is massive homelessness. There is massive health issues. And you know what? Both Tear Australia and World Vision Australia right now have emergency relief appeals running. You could go home tonight after supper, you could look up their webpage and you could be generous tonight. We should be generous to those who are in need. But I also need to point out to you that in the Bible, God has a particular focus for his people. God would want his people to be particularly focused in helping their brothers and sisters who are in need. And so in Galatians chapter 6, we read, it's again on your outline, chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You can see something similar in 1 John chapter 3. You see how it works as believers in the Lord Jesus. Our particular focus, not our exclusive focus, just a particular focus, should be for other believers. And so as you're thinking about who you should be generous to, who you can be generous to, have a particular eye for brothers and sisters who are in need. And that leads us on to another category of people that the New Testament urges us to be generous to. And they are those who labor in the Lord. So if you've got your finger still in 1 Timothy, come with me back to 1 Timothy, this time chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. Let me read. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Again, you can read some similar things in Galatians 6 and 1 Corinthians 9. But within the New Testament, the pastor is obligated to teach and pastor thoroughly, and the congregation is obligated to support him financially. The same is true, of course, of missionaries that a church sends or sponsors or partners. So last week, you remember in the letter to the Philippians, the apostle Paul was thanking the Philippian church for their continued partnership in the gospel and the gifts, the financial gifts they kept on sending him. That's right. That's right. We're to be generous to the work of the gospel. We have a Christ given financial obligation to financially support gospel work and gospel workers. And friends, let me make a disclaimer at this point, okay? As a pastor of DPC, a pastor of Evening Church, I am not here asking for more money for me. Thankfully, and I'm very thankful, my rate of pay is set by the denomination. Our giving could triple this week, and I would still get exactly the same, and I'm glad of it. But look, as we think through to whom we are to be generous, Jesus calls upon us to support the work of gospel ministry and gospel ministers, And I'm unapologetic in saying, look, that means that you should prioritize your financial support of missionaries and mission organizations and DPC, your home church. Because when you think about it, it's fairly obvious, but the people of the world, they will support relief funds in Bangladesh and the Sudan to some extent. But the people of the world will not support the preaching of the gospel. Why should they? And so you must. And folks, the reality is this: all of us adults could go onto the dole, 215 dollars a week, and give merely 10 percent to DPC, and our giving would be better off than it is now. That's the reality. And I know that lots of us give to ministries and things beyond DPC, and that's good, and that's great. But the figures I quoted before, they're pretty damning, don't you reckon? 20 bucks per person per week? That's terrible. Does that really reflect how much we value the death of Jesus for us as his people? May that not be true. Tonight, Jesus, who has made us incredibly rich through his poverty, he calls us tonight to step up and to be generous. So how do we do it? We know how generous we should be. We know who we should be generous to. How do we do it? Because you know what? If all we did tonight was think about being generous, that's not enough, is it? Go home tonight with a warm feeling of, and perhaps even a shamed feeling of, I need to be more guilty, that's not en- uh, more generous, that's not enough. <laughs> we need to be generous. We need to be doers of the word. We need to be obedient to the command of our Lord. So I'm just going to throw out some practical suggestions, and these are the things that we need to talk about together. I know money is that sort of taboo topic and things like that, but we've got to be helpful with each other in these things and we have good ideas and mistakes. We've got to share them with each other and spur each other on. But here's some suggestions as a starter. Our generosity should be prayerfully and carefully thought out. And I reckon for lots of us we don't even do that. We've never actually sat down and carefully and prayerfully thought out how much I'm going to give away. It should be budgeted. Remember Paul's words back in 1 Corinthians 16? He said this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. In other words, you need a bit of paper and a pen. You need to sit down, maybe a calculator, depends on your math's ability. You need to sit down and work out what you have, work out what you receive. And then you should pray and should ask the Lord to shape your heart and mind to his And then using the formula of the gospel of Jesus, you need to decide how much you are going to invest in the life to come. How much are you going to give away? And please notice, Paul urged the Corinthians to do this on the first day of the week, not the last. In other words, before the other demands press in, generosity has got to come first. You've got to work out first what you're going to give away before you work out what you spend on everything else. Generosity is not the stuff of loose change. Generosity doesn't sort of, it's left over from everything else. Give yourself first to the Lord. Work out what you're going to give away. And then once you've decided that, you need to decide who you, who you would like to be generous to. So I really just apply what we've been thinking about so far tonight to the ministries of DPC as your church family, to gospel workers who you are committed to in Australia and the world, to gospel ministry in Australia and the world, to brothers and sisters who are in need, to people in need. You've got to work it out. It's not just sort of going to happen. You've got to work it out. And then you've got to work out how you're going to stick to what you've worked out You've got to stick. work out how you're going to stick to your prayed-out plan. And for me, I guess because I'm a bloke, but for me, direct debiting is a really good strategy for me. Direct debiting, you know what I mean by that, where you sort of work out with your bank, or now internet banking is really easy. You just work it out so the money's transferred without you having to remember, it just goes. It protects me, at least, from spending what I decided beforehand to give away because it's gone. What I plan to give, I give. And look, you can direct debit to DPC. you just got to ask one of the committee management uh, reps um, here. They'll give you the account details and you can work it out. You can do that tonight. Most other ministry organisations have some sort of direct debiting thing. you just got to work it out. You've got to have a strategy to implement your plan, your prayed-out plan. But can I say, look, on top of all, as good as um, budgeted generosity is, can I say that I would really want to encourage you to even go beyond that I'd actually want to encourage you to think about being spontaneously generous on top of your budgeted generosity. Because I just want you to experience the joy of generosity, because it's a great joy. It's actually fun. It's fun. It really is. And so, you know, you've got your budgeted generosity, and that's fine, that's all happening, you know, in a sense. But then an opportunity to be generous comes along, and rather than saying, well, gee, that's worthy, but I've got my budget, just have a crack grab the opportunity, don't hesitate, delight to give. Take a risk with generosity and allow the Lord to demonstrate his fatherly care of you. I reckon it's true, you know, that we have such a uh, financially sensible buffer around us that we never come even close to experiencing God's fatherly care because we've always got so much in reserve. I'm not advocating financial irresponsibility, okay? Okay. It's just that so often our sensible, responsible financial strategy is often just a shallow mask for our greed. And I reckon we need to face up to it. Of course, in all this, I need to pass on to you, don't I, the warning of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, a reference I forgot to put down. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus there warns against announcing what you give away with trumpets. So everyone can hear you and you can be honoured by men. Jesus says, don't be like that. He commands us to give in secret so that our hearts might be right. A three-word saying that I've carried around with me for probably two decades, and it's a really helpful one, and I've probably told you before, but it's this, secrecy safeguards sincerity. Secrecy safeguards sincerity. So give secretly, give humbly, give prayerfully, and know this, according to Jesus, your father sees what is done in secret. And he'll reward you. It's a terrific book that if you want to keep reading about some of these things, I'd highly recommend. I've put it on your outline. It's called Beyond Greeds. It's a great book. Pretty easy read in one sense. Challenging, though, in, in another. But in that book, there's the suggestion that maybe, you know, on top of your budgeted generosity, maybe as a, as a good generosity guideline, yeah, you can actually make this fun as well, maybe we ought to be as generous to others as we are luxurious with ourselves. I think that's a nice way to think about it. Be as generous to others as you are luxurious with yourself. So enjoy the takeaway food, okay, at the end of a hard day when you can't be bothered cooking. But why not determine to match what you spend on that takeaway food with a donation to a mission organisation? That special thing you bought yourself, hey, enjoy it. God delights in showing you that sort of kindness, but why not match what you spent on that with a donation to a, to a gospel worker, just to a friend in need? You know, that takeaway meal may well now cost $40 rather than $20, but you've invested in the life to come at the same time as you've shortened your life here. <laughs> These are the things, friends, we need to be spurring each other on with. We need to make it fun. We need to be generous people, not so caught up in how much can I, just give it away. What, What really is the worst that can happen? We ought to encourage each other to be generous. We ought to encourage each other with the grace of the Lord Jesus, the surpassing greatness of knowing him as our Lord. We ought to remind each other that in Jesus we have the pearl of greatest price. Because you know what? With your heart and mind focused on the gospel, your grip will be loosened on your earthly riches. With your heart and mind focused on the gospel of Jesus, your heart and mind will be directed onto your heavenly, true, everlasting treasure. The gospel will guard you against idolatry. The gospel will bring you peace and contentment. The gospel will promote your generosity. Jesus has a command for you tonight. He commands you to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And his promise is that in that way you will lay up a treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that you might take hold of the life that is truly life. I've said it before, I'll say it one final time, we've got to stop aiming so low. We've got to stop being so easily satisfied with so little blessing. We've got to take hold of the life that is truly life. So brothers and sisters, be generous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how can we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus? But we want to acknowledge just astounding generosity astounding blessing flows to us completely undeserved the blessing of forgiveness the blessing of adoption the blessing of your holy spirit the blessing of life forever father we thank you that you delight in sharing good things with us both in this age and in the age to come and father we are sorry For being so stingy. We are sorry for being so fearful. We are sorry for being so selfish. And Father, we need you to convict us and convince us of the surpassing greatness of Jesus. We need you, you, Father, to help turn our hearts and minds to Him. So that our grip on things that will perish anyway will loosen. And we will take hold of the things, Father, that will last forever. We want to be wise investors. We want to go for great gain. We need your help, Father. We need each other's help. And Father, I pray that as a church family, as evening church, We would stir each other on to great generosity. Help us, Father, to be good at encouraging each other with the gospel of Jesus. Forgive us, Father, for our tardiness. Make us the generous people that you'd have us to be. It's in Jesus' great name, surpassingly great name we pray. Amen.